This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much Musical. Today is a very special episode as we are joined with Sonny Vaughn Cleveland, who has quite a, who has had quite the past. He was sexually abused for five years as a child. He was convicted at the age of seven with his first felony. He served 18 years in prison. However, he has been able to change his or turn his life around as he became a mental health specialist and he is uh, currently a metal vocalist. So Sonny, if you could give the viewers um, or the listeners a quick introduction by yourself, that'd be great. Uh, sure. My name is Sonny Vaughn Cleveland. Uh, I, everything he said was true. Uh, I was a sexual victim uh, by four men from the age of five until I was 10. Uh, I caught a felony when I was seven years old, 1988. I went to prison when I was 16 and I served 18 years. Uh, at which time I turned life around and found the amazing ability of self-awareness and how to help others realize that as well. I uh, was released about five and a half years ago. Uh, I joined uh, a band, I formed and created a band called Grim Trigger. Uh, and because music is a passion of mine, I was the lead vocalist for that. We were signed to Ferocious Records, uh, did some touring and had some fun there. And then uh, got into the corporate world uh, where I was a staffing specialist at a large staffing company in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and then COVID hit and I started a YouTube channel uh, to some pretty good success, climbed up to about 50,000 subscribers doing music reactions, uh, and then moved to Palm Springs, California, uh, where I have pursued a full-time career in motivational speaking and mindset coaching. And that's pretty much the whole thing in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for that introduction. And like, if you're fine with like, you know, talking about your past, could you like maybe tell us what your felonies were? Yeah, so uh, I'm comfortable with talking about anything here, boys. Uh, I, I caught a string of, they're all property crimes. So when I was seven, I, I broke into a church with my brother, actually like a, uh, a addition to a church, uh, St. Mary's Cathedral. And we broke into the basement uh, and we stole just, you know, some like pudding and playing cards and whatnot. And uh, so that was my first felony. Um, and then, you know, breaking into to concession stands and stores and buildings and houses and stealing things, uh, destroying things kind of became uh, a recreational thing for me as a child. And uh, when I went to prison, I, it was for stealing a pedal bike, having a stolen cell phone in my possession, uh, breaking into a house and having a glass of water and chipping my name into the wall in the county jail after they arrested me. Uh, so that's what I went to prison for the first time when I was 16. I was released when I was 21 uh, and I was a much worse human being at that point. Uh, I started to rob drug dealers and uh, people and stores and break into other homes uh, and yeah, I was into the gun selling and trading business and all those bad, wonderful things. So 
so i just want to quickly touch up on like people who have been sexually abused since they were like young have had their lives like almost entirely changed so do you think that because you were sexually abused it had a big impact on your life and why you ended up going to prison absolutely it um at when i was a kid and, and, and the stuff started happening to me it almost became commonplace because it was several men so i felt like maybe i was somehow attracting that behavior or those types of people and when i caught the first the first felony wasn't even acting out or getting into trouble the first felony was just young boy curiosity with my brother uh but what happened was i was arrested by these men and then going into the court system um the prosecutor's a man the judge is a man and these are men that didn't want to hurt me these are men that were genuinely seemed like they wanted to help me even though i was getting in trouble they're all telling me like you need to straighten up you need to be a good kid blah 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 and that to me was attractive because every other male in my life seemed to be a predator uh and so these men became attractive to me in the sense of a disciplinarian or a father figure and I continued to break the law because that's the only way to get their attention. So I had I, I had to steal stuff or break into things and get caught in order for the police to come back around and take me back into that environment with these men. So because it, it, it is a direct result of being molested and being a victim to these predators because I wanted the attention of men that didn't want to hurt me. And that was the only outlet that I knew at that time in my young mind was to get the attention of the police and in, in, in the judicial system. Yeah, I feel like, you know, that is quite sad how, you know, you would have to get the attention or you have to get in trouble, you know, with the law and police just to like, you know, feel good or get attention from people like in a good way. Um, right. But obviously, you know, going to prison, uh, like you really changed, like turned your life around. And um, like you mentioned in our planning meeting that at first, you know, you went to the county jail, then you got moved to, I, I, don't, I don't know, it was like the state prison. And then after that, you went and you spent about, uh, I don't know, what was it, like 18 months in solitary confinement. And that was like a major turning point of your life. Um, yeah. So before we get to that, like, I feel like an interesting question would be like, could you talk about what a typical day in prison would look like? Like, um, could you first talk to me about, could you first start off by talking about like a regular day when you were just in like a state prison? And then maybe you could talk about what like a day in solitary confinement looked like and how it shaped your life? Sure. So that's like, there's like three phases to that. There was post or pre-segregation, the pre-19 month segregation. There's the 19 month segregation and then there's the post 19 month segregation. So all three of those days look drastically different. Um, I was into gangs and I was attracted to the gang lifestyle because of the brotherhood and the camaraderie. So the first, the entire first sentence and in, in 50% of the second sentence was spent in that mentality. So a typical day in that is waking up in the morning, uh, an hour before breakfast and immediately doing push-ups uh, in the room. That was my daily ritual was to get up, drop down, immediately do push-ups. Um, and it got the blood flowing and got you ready for the day. Uh, get your knife and go to chow. So you go to breakfast, but you always want to be armed because in that environment, it was heavily, heavily gang influenced. Uh, so a typical day is wake up, do my push-ups, get my knife, go to breakfast. Uh, after breakfast, you'd immediately go to the yard and check in with uh, whoever the 
head of the gang was on the yard. Uh, we had to check in every morning. Uh, a violation of that would, would result in, in a, a good beating. Uh, so you check in every morning. And generally we would uh, have a discussion about yard politics, uh, what's going on, any new people that wrote in, any people that violated any policies within the gang, uh, if there was any discipline that had to be meted out. Um, I was known as a shooter. So I was the guy that carried out the discipline for the gang. Um, and so I would, you know, get a, a check in on that. And, and then it was usually if there was any business to be handled, it would get handled immediately. We'd go take care of it um, or hit a PT session. So we would all work out to stay in shape. Um, and then account time would come at around 10 o'clock, usually in the morning. And you go back to yourself for count, get on your bunk and do your count time. That's where you do your studying. Uh, of your literature, blah, 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 do some more workouts, whatever, kick it with the bunkie, watch some TV, uh, come out, go to uh, the day room, being getting prepared for yard. And that was very political as well. We would come in, sit down and what we, I don't want to refer to what it was, but we would group up and, and have basically like a board meeting uh, to discuss any political things that had to happen during the day. Um, Again, anything that happened in the morning, any new developments, because a yard session is, is always a volatile time when you go to yard because anything can develop that day. Somebody might have woke up on the wrong side of the bed and picked a fight with somebody else out in the yard. And now it's become this massive issue that we all have to deal with. So you'd go in there and, and go through that meeting and then go to lunch. And, and it's always just so violent and, and volatile. You, you, know, you walk in an order when you walk to chow. But you also have to be cognizant of the corrections officers because you're not allowed to engage in this type of behavior. And if they see you doing it, it's going to uh, bring attention to you and the gang. And that also is a violation, which results in a beating. Um, and so we would go to lunch, uh, come back from lunch, and then the yard is open for a few hours. And you go to yard and you either you know you engage in a sport where hit the weight pit. Uh, work out or generally go sit at the table and gamble and, and engage in gang activity uh, until count time. And then another count time would come. We'd go repeat the same process from earlier, come out, prepare for dinner, same thing, talk about whatever politics had happened during the day, go to dinner, come back. And generally there's a gym call out or a weight pit call out or a recreational activity that you get a call out for and you would go and do that or you would go to the yard. The yard's open for a few more hours. Uh, take your showers, cook your food if you want to cook some food, play cards in the day room or go to the yard uh, and then lock down for the day. And that, that's a typical day in, in the wonderful penitentiary. So one of like the things that you emphasized the most was like the yard politics and stuff like that. I remember watching this video on YouTube. It was like I was about this show called 60 Days In. Where essentially yeah. they have like these undercover individuals that go and spend some time in a county jail and get used to like and they kind of like expose kind of like the parts that aren't going well. And one of the things that I remember seeing was something called kangaroo court in which like somebody was just. It's not, it's just some, it's, it sounds like so stupid because like the person wouldn't have to have do, done anything is just sort of like to show power. It's just something that's suspecting. So is that something that you were actually able to like see in real life? Some like kangaroo court or something of the same kind when there's like a judge and it's sort of like a judge within like the cells. Yeah, that's, it, it's, it's pretty much kind of that type of structure, depending on the gangs, the gangs all generally worked together. All the heads of the gangs will meet 
and they have their own council. Um, and then within your within each gang, or in, and even if you're not in a gang, you're almost a part of a gang anyway, because those that aren't in a gang are kind of their own gang. <laughs> and it's really yeah. it, it's really twisted how it works. But yeah, there's always uh, a, a leader, uh, a vice leader, uh, an enforcer, and you know people that vouch for the the person that's being blamed or something, and people that vouch against it. It's very much like a judicial system. But there are also you know, people that come in that are preyed upon that are, are completely innocent. And 60 Days In, I, you know, that show, I, we've watched a lot of it. We watched it a lot while we were incarcerated. Uh, and I've watched some of it since post-incarceration. And, and I think the show has done more harm than good because you're putting people in an environment that they don't really understand the politics of and they cause a lot of drama. Uh, I remember a couple different characters from a different couple of different seasons on that show, and they've caused a lot of problems. It's not a game and it's not a, a reality TV series, but they like to try to do that. And then they glorify prison uh, or jail by doing these, these, these shows. They don't deter anybody from going in because they just glorify things. And, and let me tell you this, when you watch a YouTube video or a, a a TV show and they're they have a gang leader on there oh I'm the leader of the bloods and and I I, I control this this unit or this can compound or it's that is 100% Hollywood because the leader of a gang in, in a prison is never going to get on camera and say hey yeah I'm the leader of the gang in this prison it would never happen so any of those guys are either being paid or they're in protective custody or whatever and they're it, it, it paints a picture that is a false reality because they do show some things that take place but they don't show everything that takes place and the everything that they're not showing is the terrifying stuff they're only showing you the rated pg-13 version of what actually takes place on these shows. And I think the, all these shows are, are I, they're, they're, they do way more damage than they do good. Yeah, I definitely agree because like they, they only, they record so much content, but in the ultimate goal of the TV show is to like kind of please the viewers, which is like kind of give them what the, the viewers get what they want, which is essentially how these TV networks work. Facts. It's not really about giving the actual real content that's out there. It's more about giving the viewers what they want. So I definitely agree with what you're saying about like, they just kind of show the glorified version of it. I think that Rishi has something else to ask. Yeah, like um, on that note, I feel like one of the jokes or one of the things that's associated with like going to prison is that, you know, everyone's in the shower and then like you drop the soap. Like, is that actually a real thing that's happened? No. That it's that's not it's it's a joke in prison too. Oh, okay. When you're actually in the group showers and if you actually drop the soap, everybody just laughs. Nobody, you know, there's no uh oh, and that's just what they do. They just uh oh, uh oh, and everybody laughs. That's it. And then they go, they pick up the damn soap, and they continue their shower. <laughs> like, it's it's not a thing. It's just a bend over joke. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's. Uh, you have some guys that are so arrogant about it that they come in and they throw their soap down like pink there it is what <laughs> you know and it's it's just it's just a joke nobody's ever actually dropped the soap and got taken so <laughs> yeah like um I, I like i don't know how to phrase this but i feel like before you know you actually did your 19 months in solitary confinement like obviously you know being in prison was bad 
but it didn't seem like, you know, as bad. Like you got a lot of yard time and everything, you know, you got to be with, like obviously you got to be in your gang and with like a lot of people, you got to see and meet a lot of different people. Well, it it depends on what level you're in. So it's based on a level system. So if you're in a level four, you only get, you know, you'll get to come out for 30 minutes in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, and maybe an hour in the evening. You know, uh, if you're at a level two, there's a lot more freedom. So you're out several hours in the morning, a couple hours in, or a couple hours in the morning, couple hours in the afternoon, and several hours in the evening. If you're in a level one, you're out pretty much all day, and most of it you're you're living in a dorm setting, so there's not even really any cells. So it, it just depends on the on what level you're housed in. Because like like a level five, you don't come out at all. If you do come out, it's into a cage and for an hour a day if you if you're lucky oh wait so before you did your 19 months in solitary confinement what level were you i was always level four i was i never made it out of level four until probably i'm gonna say 2011 2011 (laughs) i think after going in at 98 coming in 2011 i think was the first time i made it to a level two (laughs) <laughs> 2010 actually yeah wow. okay so yeah okay now like it would be nice to transition to like what a day would look like in solitary confinement because you were sort of mentioning like you only go out like an hour a day so if you could talk about like maybe what you thought about the entire time you were locked in like a small cell that is a very long long story with a lot of transitions um but the reader's digest version is you're in the cell 23 hours the day. So it depends on what kind of person you are. Most people stay up all night because the nighttime goes by quicker and you sleep during the day. You go to sleep at breakfast and sleep till dinner uh, and then get up because it just seems to go quicker that way. So generally uh, you're in a cell, nine by 10, you have a bunk and a toilet and a desk. Uh, and that's about it. You know, you have a, a blanket and some of your paperwork, your legal work, maybe a handful of books and some hygiene. Um, so I personally would sleep until dinner. That's when my day started. So I would wake up. It would go. We got you kind of got to start there. So I would go down to the showers three times a week. They come like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. They come down and they run showers. You come down, they open up your hatch, put you in handcuffs take you down to the shower, take the handcuffs off. You got 10 minutes to shower. You quickly get your shower done, take you back to the cell. Uh, and I would generally start my day off. Uh, it, it depends. There's phases <laughs> because before I started actually studying, I would just, I would read, I would get a book and read uh, until I'd eat my dinner and read until, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, then get up and talk to people in the door, yell out, scream, argue with people, fight, rap, whatever. Uh, Cause that's all you can do is hear people. You can't see anybody. Um, and you do that until one or two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, eat your lunch, do some pacing. I would pace for hours, endlessly, nine steps from the door to the bunk, back, forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I would create in my mind, I'm in a stadium performing for thousands and thousands of fans. So in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm a lead vocalist singing songs to stadiums full of people. And in reality, I'm pacing back and forth in this box 
singing. And I became known as the guy that sang songs. So people would yell down and ask for requests. Like, hey, Sonny, sing that, sing that one song about the Superman, man, with the, the kryptonite and stuff. You know, and it's the, it's the, what's that song? If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? Right? So I would, I would sing all night long in, in, in the hole because people would be requesting songs and I love to sing, but in my mind, I'm in a stadium performing for tons of fans. And I would do this until breakfast. And then breakfast comes, I'd eat the breakfast and I'd go to sleep. I would climb up in the bed and, and go to sleep. Wake up at lunch, they open the hatch and give you the lunch, get up, grab it, take it all off the tray, store it in whatever little styrofoam tins I could get my hands on, uh, give the lunch tray back, go back to sleep, sleep till dinner, get up, rinse and repeat. And that's literally your life, day in and day out. Um, it doesn't change. They When they do offer you a yard time, it's generally four or five o'clock in the morning and it's freezing out and it's dark and there's nothing to do. They put you in a dog kennel type cage. It's maybe 10 feet by five feet and you just get to walk back and forth. And if you're lucky, it's the one that has a pull-up bar and you could jump in and do some pull-ups or dips. Um, and that's it. It's a it's a dog kennel. And you go out there and you pace back and forth for an hour and talk shit to the other guys that are out in the cages and maybe argue or because arguing actually allows you to relieve some aggression. Uh, and then you go back to the cell and, and that's literally it. So you get to choose what you do with that time. You're in that cell 23 hours a day and you get to choose what you do with it. You can think, you can meditate. For me, I and my 19, I went to the hole a lot. I just did 19 months in one stretch. Uh, I, you know, I've gone to the hole a million times for 30 days or 60 days or three, four months at a time. Uh, and so that it's nothing new and you develop habits and routines. But on this particular 19 month stretch, um, there was a Muslim man across the hall named Mallory Bay who would call over to me and try to talk to me all the time. And I was, I just, I was a very hateful dude at that point. And I would just get in the door and cuss him out. Like, shut up, don't talk to him. I don't know why you're talking to me. Um, and he just never stopped. And at one point the loneliness started to kick in and I'm like, uh, what do you want to talk about? And, and he asked me, why are you so angry, man? What are you passionate about in your life? And I couldn't answer the question. I'm like, I'm not passionate about nothing. I don't, I don't have anything I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, I, I represent my gang uh, and that's it. I, I hustle, I get money and I, and, you know, I'm all about the gang. And that, and just saying that in that moment made me think about how ignorant I sounded in that moment. When this man is asking me, what am I passionate about in life? And my only response is hustling in my gang. How sad is that? And there was just something profound about that moment when he asked me this. And then he said, hey, you know, you know, there's another option. You don't have to be that guy and you can be a better human being. You can be and, and there's so much more happiness and freedom in being a good human being. And if you're interested, I'd love to help you out and help you see something different. We're here for a long time. We're not going anywhere because initially I was given a five year sentence in the hole. It wasn't 19 months. It was five years. And. I don't know. There's something that, about that that was like, you're right. And over the course of the next week or two, he, he helped me to heal. He said, you know, feel everything that you're angry at in your life. You know, if you, your, your molestation, your perpetrators, the, the, the victimization you've been through, the shame that you feel for whatever you've done wrong, the people you've lied to and you've hurt, let it all go. Feel it, feel the emotion and just release it. 
And so I did. I mean, I, I cried until there was nothing else to cry. I, I was depressed. I was sad. I was, I, you know, I hurt. I felt bad. I was angry. I was mad until you couldn't be mad anymore. I literally burnt out the emotion of everything. And at the end of that, you're just left blank. You're blank. And it's, and he said, this is the point right here that you can rebuild yourself into anything you want to be. Whatever you want to be in this world, you can start building right now. And, and then he gave me a book, I think it was called The Fred Factor uh, by Mark Sanborn. And I read the book about this guy who's a postman and he, he, he treats his job like it's life and he changes the lives of the people that he delivers mail to. And I look at it and I'm like, he's just a humble male guy who changes the lives of people. And I thought I was this victim, this, this victimized child who never did anything wrong to anybody. And I became this monster <laughs> and I'm like, I can change the world. And so I did, I started studying, I started studying everything I could get my hands on. And I, he said, find people that, that inspire you. And I found Denzel Washington and I found the rock and these men inspired me. And he said, you know, do what you can to emulate that. And I did. And I started to rebuild myself and I started to write essays and of the person I wanted to be, I wrote my own eulogy. And that's what really changed me was I wrote a eulogy of how I wanted to be remembered from, from the perspective of other people. And I want to be remembered as a person who had to endure so much pain and trauma so that I could help other people to get over it, that have been through it. And <laughs> It, it, it gave me some pride and some honor. And I'm like, yeah. And so I started to do that, man. I started to write essays every day. Uh, and I started to write these things about how I wanted to be in the world. I started to submit it. And we gave it to the people at the front uh, office at the prison. And they helped me get in touch with people at the local library. And I started to send it out there. And they were really touched by the stuff that I was writing. And they're like, dude, you you got some serious stuff here and you have a talent for writing and speaking and narrating. And I'm like, yeah. And I started to work on other courses, a course called Thinking for a Change. And now we, we're, we're progressing into to several months into this now. And now a day for me looks like I get up at breakfast, I wash my face, I take care of myself. I start to read a self-help book. I go through meditations every day. I, I go through self-empowerment uh, affirmations where I, I, I let myself know that I'm worthy of living a good life and worthy of, of having wonderful things and worthy of changing the world. And I did it every day and it became a habit. And and I would stay up and I would read and study until lunch. And then they would bring me to lunch. I would eat my lunch and I would be thankful that I had lunch to eat because I know there's people in the world that have nothing. And it made me grateful. And I would spend the rest of my afternoon until dinner pacing back and forth, practicing, reciting the things that I've learned. Uh, and again, I'm in my mind, I'm in a stadium of people. And this time I'm, I'm talking to them and I'm helping them. 
and I would eat my dinner and I would read and I would study and then I would have just in-depth discussions with Mallory Bay until freaking two, three o'clock in the morning. And I would write and I would write and I would write. And uh, eventually they came and said, hey, we see the progress you've been making. Uh, we'd like you to teach this class, thinking for a change if you look. So I studied the material and I mastered it. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to teach this and help some people. And they put me in the protective custody unit and I started to teach this class. And, and these are people, primarily the people that are in there are pedophiles. And at first it hit me like, fuck, <laughs> I'm in a room full of pedophiles. You guys are the ones that victimized me when I was a child. You do that to other children. You're the lowest scum of the earth. And I'm charged with the task of changing you and helping you to become something better. And, and I, I took that challenge to heart and I was able to change it. And I taught these men who victimized children to be better people, to be a better human being. And that made me a better person. And because of all of that, they let me out of the hole early. After 19 months, they said, you know what? We believe that you're good enough uh, to be released. And they let me back out. Uh, and then things were really bad <laughs> for the first year or so because when I got out, the gang was like, we need you back. Uh, let's go, we need you back, grab your knife. We got some shit we need you to handle. And I'm like, guys, listen, I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not in that anymore. And you can't just quit <laughs> because they're like, well, you have to, you, you can't just quit. And you know the, the results if you do that. And I, yeah, I do. I know the results and I'm willing to, to go through that because I'm no longer a puppet. I'm not your, your pawn. I'm a fucking king. Like every other human being on this earth is a king. We are all here to inherit the earth and be kings. And I'm not your puppet. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be your, your, your pawn anymore. And they began to jump me all the time. I would go to the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning and I would get jumped and, and I would be eating lunch and they would come and they would hit me with locks in the face and, <laughs> and they would stab me. I've been stabbed several times and I, I, I'm like, guys, y'all gotta leave me alone. When I've endured enough of this, leave me alone. And they're like, you, it's never gonna stop. And so I had to get really violent with the leader of the gang on the yard. And I, I had to lay down the law basically and let them know, like, I'm not just gonna stand here and let you do this anymore. And after that, they stopped. And then I spent the rest of my bit teaching men how to change your mindset, how to talk to yourself and turn yourself into whatever it is you want to be in life and be a good person. And, uh, and then I got out about five and a half years ago and uh, I've applied it ever since. I know I kind of went off on a long one on there and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like, thank you so much for like going like in depth that much. Like it takes a lot of courage for people, you know, to talk like, to go in this much depth and talk about their past. Like, um, and like, we really appreciate, uh, we really appreciate for you doing that. And like, it was really interesting to hear, you know, how you were able to like turn your life around. Um, like, uh, we, we, we talked to an actor recently and um, he, he, he got charged for a vehicle, vehicular assault and he went and had to do solitary confinement. And he actually went and turned his life around or 
as well, turned his life around as well, like you. But um, you know, we're doing this podcast in two parts. So this is the end of the first part. We've talked about your past in prison and stay tuned for the next part for, to the listeners where we'll talk about, you know, how you change or you did turn your life around and we'll talk about uh, what you did or what you've been doing for the last five years. We can, we'll talk about your band. We'll talk about um, your mental health talks. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for the listeners and stay tuned for part two. It's going to get good. Yeah. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much A Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Kadala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.